you are holding on to us. So, so excited to have Nick Ewing. Go ahead and you can have a seat if you want. We have Nick Ewing uh, speaking, God speaking through him today to us. And so uh, I just want to lift him up for us. Uh, God, um, I just thank you for what a blessing it's been to watch Nick grow up, Lord. I, I saw him when he was an honorary three-year-old, and I saw you soften his heart and draw him to yourself, and I've seen you use him in amazing ways and through his storm, God. Speak through Nick this morning, God. Listen through us. We need to hear from you, Lord. We're desperate to hear from you. Thanks, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Tom. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be, Adam's going to read, uh, and if you guys will, if you're able and willing to stand up while we read Scripture, uh, Adam will read, we'll project it, so if you want to flip to it, go for it, otherwise just uh, look at the screen and listen to Adam. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Thanks, Adam. Go ahead and take a seat. I'd like to set the context of our story before we actually dive into the story. And if you guys have been at Rimrock the last few weeks, months, you know we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. And Mark is basically... Uh, the author, Mark, is friends with Peter, the apostle. And so Peter is the eyewitness of all these things that took place that are recorded. And basically you have a friend, Peter, communicating to Mark uh, what happened, what took place as he walked the earth with Jesus. And so Mark is the one who's recording that. And one of the things I love about Scripture is some of the real authentic flavors that you get. And we get a little bit of that in this account where you, uh, if, if you know, if you've heard people retell stories, or all of us have retold stories, and there's some pieces of the story that you simply tell not to further the story, but because you remember them. Women are pretty good at this, right? Where it's very much, you know, I was pulling into Walmart, and this guy in this black SUV almost nailed me, and he didn't even see me. He was on his phone, and so I got into there, and I got into my stall, and I almost hit this little kid. Thank goodness I didn't, uh, but then I got in there, and guess who I ran into? Your sister, <laughs> and so why they don't, there's no reason to talk about the SUV or the little kid other than they simply remember it, but that's oftentimes even what courts will use for eyewitness accounts are basically these little details that are only there because this person is thinking through what they remembered. And I love imagining Peter saying, oh man, the storm came and it was horrible. We were afraid for our life and there was other boats out there with us. It has nothing to do necessarily with the narrative of the story. Uh, Jesus was asleep. He was on a cushion. It was red and white. Is simply this guy is recounting in his mind what took place. And so uh, real quick, I want to walk you through this table up here. Mike, if you can throw that up there to just give us, again, uh, some 
evidences that what we have before us is uh, in fact what God wanted us to have and very, very much in line with the original eyewitness writings of this. So if you look at this uh, table real quick, we're going to spend a lot of time. So you got the author in the left-hand column, uh, when these books or these authors wrote uh, in their life, the earliest copies we have, as well as the time span in between. And that time span in between is really the money column for us. Uh, that dictates a lot of how much confidence we put in the fact of what was written is indeed what we continue to carry today, and then the number of copies that uh, we know of. So first Caesar lived, wrote around 100 to 44 BC, the earliest copy we have of things he wrote, 900 AD. So there's a thousand years in between that time, between when he wrote and the earliest copy we have. That's quite a long time, and we have 10 copies. Plato, about the same time frame as far as living and uh, excuse me, as far as the earliest copy. And there's 1,300 years between when he wrote and the copy that we have. We only have seven copies of the things that Plato uh, scribed. Aristotle and Plato, you can see there's some crossover uh, as far as their life. And the earliest copy we have of Aristotle, 1100 AD, so there's 1,400 years between when he wrote and the earliest copies, but we have 49 copies of that. Homer's Iliad is a, oftentimes a benchmark for these things. Uh, partly because it's the oldest we have, 900 B.C. The earliest copy we have is still crazy old, 400 B.C., and they shrink the time span. There's only 500 years between that, but 500 years is still quite a while. But we have a staggering 643 copies of that. And then New Testament, different books in the New Testament. Those are written from 40 to 100 A.D., and the earliest copies that we have are about 125 A.D., and the time span between is only 25 years. And we have over 24,000 copies of that. So the beauty of this story of Jesus calming the sea, as it was written by Mark, as Peter was continuing to tell it, the, the documents that we have now, um, and we have, if last I knew, one of the oldest ones that has been found is the book of Mark. Um, Peter was alive when those things were written down. And so if those things didn't jive with his memory, there would have been some conversation about that. And so it's staggering to me, and again, just another one of those uh, powers for our faith that says uh, what we have before us in God's Holy Scripture uh, has indeed been sustained and continued and carried on by God. So we're thankful for that. So in that vein, uh, let's, let's dive into the story, but if you guys would pray with me. Father, thank you so much that you, um, in perfect love and infinite wisdom, desire to be known by your creatures that the, the clay can have union with the potter. And so we praise you for your word. We praise you for your spirit. We declare that they are living. And I pray that they would fall fresh on us now, that it would be the same old gospel, but the living word and the living spirit that would manifest itself to us. God, if we speak with the language of angels and archangels, but don't have love, we're an annoying sound, and so please don't allow that to happen today. I pray that you would infuse us with your love and that you would open our ears to hear and to see your heart. We ask that you would just come get your glory. Amen. One of the first things that I want to uh, pull out, I think, is what I believe is Mark's desire. And again, Mark is a very fast-paced, fast-moving gospel where he's He's saying, Jesus, this is who Jesus said he was, and this is what Jesus did. This is who Jesus said he was, and this is what Jesus did. And so he bounces around all over the place saying, Jesus, 
uh, healed this person from sickness. Jesus cast out this unclean spirit. Jesus claims to be God. Jesus claims to be the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And this is another one of those things that Jesus exercises lordship and power, not only under, over the spiritual, which we've seen in the book already, uh, not sickness and disease, but over weather, over the earth, over natural things. And so again, the picture is these fishermen who have been on the sea of Galilee most of their life are in the middle of a terrible storm to the point where they're fearful of their life. So this must have been quite a storm. And you have Jesus who is sleeping during this thing and they wake him, teacher, don't you care? And he gets up and he exercises authority over the storm. And Jesus doesn't have to call upon another uh, deity. You don't see him do some rain dance. You don't see him uh, make this big spectacle of it. All he does is almost like you tell your son, be calm, be still. Now, my son doesn't behave quite like, like this does. But it shows you the authority that Jesus has. He says, be calm, and the wind stops. Be still, peace, and the waters stop. So I think the first thing Mark is doing is he claims to be the Messiah, and here's one of the stories what do you do with that? And so as we walk into this story, the next point that I want to discuss as Jesus calming this storm is the obvious fact first that Jesus allows storms in the life of those he loves and on this earth. Now, being at this church for very long, we know this. Pastor Steve taught us more about this than I ever will, where there are storms in life, and that doesn't mean that God is absolutely, he's still there, but he allows it. If you look at verse 38, the disciples had uh, a wrong premise here. Teacher, do you not care? We're perishing. See, in their mind, somehow, they believed that if you did love me, if you did care, you wouldn't allow this storm. It's not true. It's a wrong premise. And in big pictures, sometimes we see this and understand and we can grasp this. But there's a lot of times in little days and little moments, in Saturdays, yesterday, when I wake up with a head cold, I'm supposed to preach three times. We're getting ready to go to church and the car battery dies. Kids are going crazy, even uncharacteristically. And it's like, God, where are you? right? And in those little moments, and you guys have your days, where it starts to feel like he's not really caring. Where's this provision that we talk about? Because I don't see it, and I don't feel it. John 16, 33 says, in this world you will have trouble. There's a promise, one that we all know about. Ask the person next to you. This first service, I was looking out, and I see people whose husband died. I see people whose husband is dying right now. I, see, I hear, get a text from someone whose wife is dying. Just talked to a girl whose 30-year-old son died a month ago. Life is very hard, and you guys know it. There are storms all the time. But to start with the premise that if there are storms, God must not care, I want to eradicate that today. I want to show you how Jesus allows those things. In fact, he promises the storms. 
But he says, take courage, I've overcome this world. Acts 14.22 says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so whatever your tribulation is, maybe you're praying that your husband would be more excited about spiritual things. Maybe you're praying that your son would be healed. Maybe you're praying that God would, would, would fix some physical ailment for you. Maybe you're praying that your parents wouldn't get divorced. Whatever the storm is, God knows it's hard. God knows it's scary. And like the disciples, we can relate to this one, right? A lot of times we shake our heads at the disciples go, man, why didn't they exercise faith here? We don't do that with this story because we get it. If we are in this situation, we probably do the same thing. What are you sleeping for, God? Where are you? We get it because we've all done this. And God knows. But the thing I want to promise you is God will get you through the storm. Most of you know my story. For the sake of those who don't, real quick, two, two and a half years ago, I uh, woke up, virus hit my spinal cord, paralyzed both my legs and my left arm. Some of you had a front row seat to that uh, where I couldn't move. And it rocked my world. There was many, many, many times I thought, the state that I'm in is not compatible to living for me. I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. But I want to show you how God gets you through those times. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, came alive to me in the last couple years. It says, we are pressed on all sides, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So there are times God often allows the storms to come and it feels like it's going to overwhelm you. But wait on Him and He will show up. He'll give you sorrow, but He won't let that turn into despair. Now there's days and there's moments where you're not sure. And so for me, here's how He did that. A couple stories. One of them He gave me in this story, Jesus calms the storm, right? He gets up and he says, be still, and it calms. And so regardless of the level of the storm that you're in, I believe sometimes he does this. He changes the circumstance. Meaning, if Nick, this is where you're at, to the point where you're in a wheelchair and you can't move, I'm going to provide some healing and I'm going to lower that storm a little bit. Now I'm still maybe less than 5% in my legs from what I had. Uh, so far from running sprints. But much, much more acceptable for life for me than to be in totally paralyzed. So he calmed the storm a little bit, and he's done that with a lot of you, where he reconciles a relationship. He wins your son's heart. He redeems a marriage. He heals you from disease, where he kind of calms that storm a little bit. But the other thing that I think he does is he deepens your faith. He gifts you with a deeper faith and a deeper trust where if I had just a little bit of faith, all of a sudden he gives me a different perspective. He allows me to know him more fully. He allows me to have an eternal perspective so my faith increases to meet the circumstance of that storm. And he says, now you can get through this. Not only can you get through this, but you can do it with joy. And if that's not there right away, you're going to do it with a deep assurance and peace that this is going to be okay. There's a lot of times with my kids, my middle daughter, Natalie specifically, where she gets a little anxiety if I'm driving and she's like, Dad, you ever been here? No. Well, do you know where you're going? 
I know what I'm doing. I'll figure it out. Dad, where are you going? Dad, why are you doing that? What are you doing? And at half the time, I just want to say, Natalie, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I said earlier, the first time I ever went rock climbing was with Adam Haggerty, who was reading our scripture here. And I've known Adam all my life. And rock climbing, before you've ever done it, is a little bit intense, a little bit scary. And it was a lot of fun, but man, there's a little bit of fear going on there. And so I'm climbing up this rock, and I've never done this, and I'm just trusting this guy. And so we have a good time. We get to the top, and I was like, all right, feel a little bit alive. And he says, okay, now just lean back and go down. And I realized, and I said, you know, I'm glad it's you. Because here's a guy that I know loves me. Here's a guy that I know values me. And I just had to trust he knows what he's doing. And so for you to understand and recognize that God loves you, and God values you, and he's not going to put you in a situation or allow circumstances that haven't passed through him, where there's so many times I just heard him say, Nick, I know what I'm doing. You can trust me. And if you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can trust, don't worry about that. When the time comes, I think everything is gift. And I think he gifts you that faith. It's not necessarily something you conjure up. You just stay there, you keep looking at him. And next thing you know, that circumstance either gets reduced, or if it doesn't, that faith increases. And he allows you to endure those storms. He allows you to endure those things. And he says, I know what I'm doing. Scripture talks a lot about endurance, a lot about long-suffering. Another way, this is Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. One of the ways that he allowed me to be in the fire but not be consumed is giving me, again, a deeper eternal perspective. One that I'd prayed for, that I'd heard people talk about, but it felt like a unicorn. It's like, what in the world does that mean? Because this is all I know. And so one of the examples that he gave me was being on a long car ride. Where when you're driving and you know you got a 20-hour ride, you just take a pack of seeds, some music, maybe throw a DVD on for the kids, and you just settle in. And one hour isn't a big deal. Five hours isn't a big deal. But if you're driving to church and it takes 30 minutes and that's your expectation and it now takes you 40, 45, you get all antsy, right? But if you settle in because you know the journey, you can kind of start to enjoy the journey, start to enjoy the car ride. And so there's a lot of things in my life that I may never do again. My mom told me earlier she had a dream last night of me running a 100-yard dash. I don't know if I'll be able to do that again. But God has told me, hey, you settle in for right now, whether it's two days before I take you home or whether it's 60 years, you got an eternity to run. You can do that for all time. And there's sorrow there, but that's not despair. Because there's hope in the destination. I told the first service, one of the last vacations that Sherry and I went on was uh, in Zion National Park. And so we're starting to look to try to go on another vacation, get rid of our kids for a little bit. Uh, but that's not really an option anymore. You know, that trip, we were climbing rocks. We were walking all over the place. We were trudging through rivers that were up to here, holding backpacks up. Uh, you'd get to this big rock, and I uh, had the opportunity to help this big girl up over the rock. 
And so uh, we're, you're kind of walking as a team, right? And you see this waterfall, and there's a lot of people who can't get on this. And I was like, I got this. So I got this girl's cheeks in my hands, you know. And I, it's the only time I could feel another woman's butt and kind of wink at Sherry, and she'd just be snickering, you know. <laughs> but we get, we get her over the rock, and everybody's celebrating. It's not embarrassing because she's just enjoying this time. And so we're doing this as a group. And those kind of things, those are opportunities that you see and you look for. And it's always, it sounds funny, always been a joy to be able to do. Take that for what it's worth. But, but I can't do that now. So if I see a need, I, I, can't, I can't do that. But in all reality, guys, God has shown me with a little bit of humor, you got an eternity to help big girls over rocks. <laughs> am I going to get to do that in heaven? I'm not real sure. <laughs> but if I am, I hope you're there with me. But that's the thing. That's how he brings you through these moments. That's how he brings you beyond despair. He says, okay, there's some sorrow. Okay, there's some storms. But I have my ways to calm those storms. And I have my ways to change your perspective. And a lot of times it's this perspective of eternity. It's this perspective of for all time you'll be with me. And so honestly, the day to day, the one day at a time, the one hour at a time, you can handle. And so the things that you're going through right now, whether they feel like big storms or little storms, the beauty is it's going to be over sometime. Sometime it's in the past. Sometime it's a memory. Jesus says, I pray that you might have eternal life, and this is eternal life, that you may know God. He gives us that offer for eternal life, to know God here so that he, we can weather storms, so that we can see Jesus calm our hearts, so that we can see Jesus change our circumstances. And then he gives us this projection for all time. Another story, if you guys uh, have been in the Black Hills very long, you know the 4th of July is awesome around here. We have Mount Rushmore, the weather's usually good right around then, so people come from all over the place. My family loves fireworks. My wife loves fireworks, and we usually watch it at Fitzgerald Stadium, uh, where I grew up playing baseball, where I still coach. It's just kind of a sacred place for me, and the fireworks are pretty cool. They get better and better, and our salaries get lower and lower. I don't, I don't understand that. Uh, but so a couple years ago, Brogan, my youngest, he was one, two years old, and 4th of July, and we got our seats. We're all there, and the fireworks are just ready to get started, and I'm excited. You know, I want to see how he, how he responds to this. And the first one goes off, and all of a sudden, he kind of backs up towards me. Second one goes off, and he crawls up in my lap. And then as they kept going, he needed the real hero, and he jumped over to Sherry, my wife. And he just snuggled into her, turned his head, and just buried into her chest as these, stuffs were, these things were popping. From a mature perspective, Sherry and I's perspective, we knew Brogan was never threatened. These fireworks aren't going to hurt you, son. I know they're loud, I know they're scary, I know they're bright, but you're in no immediate danger. And in fact, with our perspective, we can enjoy these things. The sufferings and the trials and the storms that you are going through, to God, those are fireworks. And I continued to hear him tell me, I know it's scary. It's just a firework, son. Because God has conquered all those things. Because of eternity and because at the end of the book we win. 
none of those things threaten my eternal security, that I am loved by God for all time, that your suffering will be wiped away one day. And whether you see all of what it did or not, I don't know. Of course, it doesn't make sense in the midst of it. But it's not going to be wasted. Scripture says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This goes to wounds of your past. It goes to physical ailments. It goes to deep, deep losses. And it even goes to death itself. That because of the victory that Jesus Christ won, even death itself cannot separate us. So even death itself, God's saying that's just a firework. This can't touch you. That's a beautiful truth. Popping back to our story here. The language that's used in the book of Mark is very, very, very similar to the story of Jonah. If you guys will remember that story with me. Jonah, God asked him to go to Nineveh. He says, no way, and he runs from God, and he gets on a ship. As he's on the ship with other sailors, a storm comes. And in both stories, like in the story of Mark, these sailors are afraid for their life. They realize we are about to die. And Jonah is asleep. And remember, they say to Jesus, don't you care? To Jonah, they say something like, what are you doing? So I think this language is no coincidence. I think God knew what he was doing. I think God says, oh yeah, remember this? Remember this story? There's a difference though. Both stories, somebody, lives were at stake. In the story of Jonah, he had to be cast into the sea and all of a sudden all was calm. Lives were spared because Jonah was cast into the sea. And a, a big fish appointed by God comes and swallows Jonah. He stays in the fish for three days, and then he's resurrected. He's spit out to live the rest of his life. And in the story of Mark, we get Jesus standing up and saying, Be still, and the storm calms. But I think the story of Jonah and this initial story of Mark is projecting us to a story that happens later on in Mark. We sang about us calming a storm within us. The storm of sin, the storm of self that wreaks havoc on our life. And unlike Jonah, instead of being thrown and hurled into the sea, God himself, as Jesus Christ, throws himself from heaven onto earth. And then he throws himself onto the cross and into the grave and for three days is separated from the Father's love. And Jonah had to be spit out by a fish resurrected. Jesus Christ raises himself from the dead after three days. And, he, and because Jonah was thrown into the sea, lives were spared. And because Jesus threw himself from heaven to earth onto a cross, into a grave, but resurrected, he gives us the opportunity to have our lives spared. He offers an extension and an invitation that says, come have that storm within your heart settled and calmed 
for all time. Believe in me and receive my forgiveness and you will receive eternal life. That the peace of God which surpasses understanding, which surpasses circumstance, even though the winds blow and the waters shake, something deep down within your heart says it's going to be okay. God says, I know what I'm doing. And somehow, because you have the cross and because you have seen this, and he's given you eyes to see it, you say, okay, I trust you. One, I wonder if you've recognized that storm in your life and your need to be rescued. And if that's happened in our lives, it does my heart a lot of good to continue to meditate and think about that. To recognize that God cast himself down so that I might have life. So regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what's going on in my life, we continue to be pointed to the cross and we can continue to say, Jesus, 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 till the day I die. And then when that happens, Jesus, 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 forevermore. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for stories. Thank you for the fact that there's a lot of times in our life we go through storms and, and we wonder if, if we can take these. But God, there's nothing that we're going through that man hasn't gone through before that you have continued to carry your children through, that you continue to be faithful, that you continue to say, be calm, peace, settle in. These are just fireworks. I know what I'm doing. I'm with you. So I pray for those who are enduring hardship right now. I pray for those who are in deep sorrow that you would not allow them to despair, that you would increase their faith, that you would bring healing to their hearts, to their eyes, to their circumstances so that all would know there is a God and he is perfect in all of his ways. Amen. Amen. Uh, earlier this week, I was thinking about the verses that Nick was going to talk.